All right, y'all, part two coming up right after this with Stats by Will. Always fun talking all things college basketball with Mr. Will Warren. We had a lot of fun talking um, all things college basketball. As always, we talked about whether or not Jerry Stackhouse is still the right guy for Vanderbilt, maybe the case for and against Stackhouse and his future at Vanderbilt. Uh, why Bryant moving uh, conferences might be something to watch. Also, Loyola Chicago going into next year, which one will have a bigger impact in their new uh, conference. We talked about the John Calipari and Kentucky basketball beef with Mark Stoops. That was a lot of fun. Uh, not a lot of n- new stuff with UT Hoops, but then we also do our Purdue Ken Palm season review series continues on. What to make of last year's Boilermakers, where they're going, losing Jaden Ivey to the NBA, and if there will still be maybe the best offense in basketball again next year. So all that and more coming up right after this. Stats by Will. Go check them out. Stats by Will.com. Follow them on Twitter. Stats by Will. All that good stuff. Um, but yeah, tweet at me, Chase underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Email the program, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Read me and all my sports writing at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. And as always, if you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify listener and uh, you're already subscribed to this platform, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it helps this show continue to grow, helps other people find the show, and all that good stuff here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. So go ahead and take care of that today. If you uh, could uh, can make the time, that'd be great. I'd appreciate it. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. On a Friday, we wrap. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. Welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Thursday evening. We flipped last week. Guess what? We're not flipped this week. Stats by Will on a Thursday night here on the Chase Thomas Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Will, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing well. Uh, Just like the Big Ten, you'll always know what time I'm on. (laughs) It was weird, man. That video today of the Big Ten uh, on CBS at 3.30 starting in 2024 is just... uh, that's that's but that's good that's real football that's big boy football right there that's 13 to 9 that's how it should be but to be fair like I'm people are like oh, the these games these loser games and i'm like vanderbilt's been on that 330 spot against alabama and it's not like that 330 spot is just uh nothing but great memories there's a lot of blowouts in the 330 we have, spot 100 percent had a 330 kentucky mississippi state game like yes. before before they were good mm-hmm like the it's not like this hallowed time and also like if you're a fan of a team that's on there frequently and this goes with fox as well you know the struggle there are hours upon hours of ads yes. if i have to sit through one more friggin nick saban aflac ad i swear <laughs> and, and somehow that that's displaced this is a mini rant and i'm sorry but i gotta get this off my chest because i Go brought it up me. i brought it up i have to own it Mm-hmm. If I hear that damn Matt and Kim song one more time in the Buick commercial this year, da, 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 yeah, that that's a war crime. <laughs> that Matt, uh, are Matt and Kim responsible for Iraq? Some are wondering. Wow, I'm kidding. No, wow. they have some good songs, but that that commercial is just too much. Um, that song is super old too. Like that, that's it's like, like a ten year old song, right? It's like their first album. Oh, so that's it's like, like daylight. Is, isn't that the? 
Yeah, I think that it's definitely like a 10-year-old song because, yeah, no, we, we can go down the Matt and Kim, Kim rabbit hole, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty old <laughs> one. Uh, last Because it's not Daylight. What is it called? Is that Daylight or is that the one where it's like, no, Daylight's like the fast piano. Never mind. Yeah. Uh, I forgot even what that one's called. Um, but they're good. Shout out to Matt and Kim. Daylight is like Piano 101 for a kid starting out. Very easy to go. figure out. Can you play piano? Uh, very little, but I, I can play like five songs. So look at this, the, the, the folks for the people on youtube.com slash Jason was podcast. I'm putting up my fingers folks. When you have long fingers, <laughs> you'll get a lot of strangers and you'll get a lot of people in your life that will offer their opinion on, uh, things you should do, uh, in your life. When you're a writer, what they'll tell you a lot is like, have you thought about being a lawyer? Have you uh, considered <laughs> being, uh, being a, a man of the law, a lawman? But when you have long fingers, they'll be like, have you played piano? Do you play piano? Do you, have you considered uh, playing piano? Because if you have long fingers, you just become, it's open season on unsolicited <laughs> advice as to why you should play the piano. And then there is a sigh that follows and you're like, no, never got into it. So people are just like, mm, what a waste of those long fingers. My, I don't know that. See, I have long frog fingers, but I never mm. did the piano. It was always like people were like, have you played bass or something like that? Mm. Or you know, like a little bit of the guitar finger picking thing, but not as much on piano. That and mm. pe- people are always like, well, can you palm a basketball? And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, but it's not like that useful of a skill, really. Right. It's like, it's a party trick. I can do that. Is it a party trick? Hey, Will, gather around. Will's about to palm this basketball. <laughs> I, I feel like if you were the first guy to do it in 1952, people went freaking nuts. Mm. Like the first time somebody palmed a basketball, it was it was like that kid flipping the water bottle. It was that level of reaction. There you go. Um, Will, it's time for our weekly dose this offseason for right guy or wrong guy. For this program, I want to throw Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt to you. They play a style that I think we're both going to say is conducive to winning in modern college basketball. The wins haven't come. Scotty Pippen Jr., really good player for them the last couple of years. Is he the right guy or the wrong guy for Vanderbilt? I think I'm finally settling in uh, that he is the wrong guy. And I I don't really want to admit that because more than the average person, I think I like Stackhouse and do want him to succeed. Part of this is like residual Pistons fandom, but uh, Mm. more significantly, like you said, he plays a watchable style. They were a lot more committed on the defensive end this year. Like they were, they were pretty tough to score on, frankly, when Tennessee played them. Um, But I mean, we're at three years of data now in Stackhouse. Uh, Mm. Some good has been done. You know, he took over an 0 and 18 SEC team, 155th in Ken Palm. Three years later, they finished 64th above 500 on the season, though not in the SEC for the first time in five years. You know, I mentioned the defense. They're pretty feisty. All of that is fine. The problem is that they had Scottie Pippen for all three of those years and produced a total of 13 SEC wins from it. And so you get into year four here, and Pippen is gone. Liam Robbins is gone. Rodney Chapman is gone. Uh, and you're kind of left wondering, like, what exactly did all of that produce, you know? In Torvik's projections, uh, you know, they're obviously could be wrong. I wouldn't be shocked if they are, but they got Vanderbilt 110th overall, 13th in the SEC, 
And if that comes close to happening, like that's a real bad place to be in year four. And we kind of have this consistent discussion of like, how easy is it really to win at Vanderbilt? Yes, they're located in Nashville, but yes, the academic restrictions are pretty, it's pretty tough to get in. Mm -hmm. But Kevin Stallings did it. And Kevin Stallings did it for a long time. And prior to Stallings, there is a history of Vandy at least being solid at basketball. And so, I mean, we're now at the point where that most recent tournament bid is when, like, I believe a recruit this year would have been 12 or 13 the last time they made the tournament. So, and it's like, do you remember Vanderbilt losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Probably not. So the last, like, signature moment they had – I mean, really is probably them winning the SEC tournament 10 years ago now. And so, you know, like, say all of that happens, they do get like 12th, 13th in, this, in the SEC. You're staring at a four-year run where all four years you played on Wednesday in the SEC tournament. That's not worth keeping around to me. I need to see at least a toss-up. Like, I need at least a top 10 SEC finish to sway me. Like, you got to make it to like, you got to play your first game on Thursday to show real progress to me. Hmm. I just wonder, cause it's the recruiting's better. Stackhouse has connections. Like he was a really good NBA player for a long time. I think guys want you, like you said, with Stallings, they have one there. I just, I wonder when you go back to like what happened with Bryce drew, when he was there, because I think we all were kind of in on Bryce Drew and thought that that was going to go pretty well. That was a good fit. And then that doesn't go well, right? And then you're like, okay, we're going to go not the college guy with the name recognition. We're just going to go get the NBA guy. And we're going to try and create the path back to contention in the SEC that way, where it's going to be like, guys are going to want to play for Jerry Stackhouse because he can get them to the league. And maybe that will be the path. I just don't think that's working either. I think they need to just not find their own Clark Lee for basketball, but I do think it's just not going to work the way that I think Stackhouse wants this program to work. And I think it's just a, it's a smaller version of what's happening at Memphis a little bit, right? Where Mm -hmm. Memphis, you look at Penny Hardaway, he's building another great staff, like the staff this off season, what he's made, the adjustments he's made there, like, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for optimism on paper and it just is not translating year over year. And you just wonder, it's like, would Penny just be a better NBA coach? Would Jerry Stackhouse be a better NBA coach? And I don't know. I I just, I wonder how much time we go down this road with Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. Because when you look at this upcoming year, I mean, are you optimistic that this is a, a, not like they're not a tournament team, I don't think for sure. And I think they're probably another like they're going to be in the cellar in the SEC again next year. And the SEC is just too good now. Yeah, I, I just don't see it with them. I mean, like, could they be, you know, like kind of what they were last year and, you know, finish like 10th or 11th in the SEC? I think that's possible. But again, we get into the discussion of like, I, I'm pretty sure it's gone 14th, 13th, 11th, and then 10th or 11th in this scenario. Yeah. Is that worth giving a fifth year? I don't really know. And this kind of, this is all before, like, I mean, of the top three like consensus recruits he's recruited, because Pippen actually was not one mm-hmm. of the top three recruits he's gotten, all three have uh, transferred out. Dazoni transferred to Temple, Dylan Daisu, who was not good but whatever, transferred to Texas, and then uh, Peyton Daniels transferred to Stephen F. Austin. Mm. So I mean, those are the those are the three, at least by the recruiting rankings, best recruits he's gotten, and none of them are still there after two years. 
So, I mean, is the recruiting really even better? They're getting guys in, but they're not staying. And then you're like, yeah. okay, so what's going on? Why are they not staying? Because like we said, the style works. Like this is a style that's conducive to winning. But what have you seen like mostly on the court that you're just like, it just doesn't work right. It, there's a, what is the reason, the biggest reason for just on the court, what Stackhouse is running or the guys that he's playing, what just doesn't work for you? I think prior to this year, it was just, they were terrible defensively. There was no real commitment to the bit on the awful at rim protection, awful at forcing turnovers, awful at blocking shots. Didn't appear to be much of a plan. They did switch that mm-hmm. up this past year. And I think it was like a fundamental change in defense. Like they forced tougher threes, they're still bad at rim protection, but it was more tolerable. And then they were just more aggressive on the perimeter and forcing turnovers. Mm. But kind of the consistent theme the whole time is it's just like, I, I never watch, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I never watch a Vanderbilt game and come away thinking, I just watched a very disciplined basketball team. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, all three years they've had turnover issues. They've struggled with giving up some like mind-numbing defensive rebounds, lots of fouling issues defensively. I never come away from uh, generally, I mean, generally speaking, I mean, like, yes, it was cool that they beat LSU this past season and then Alabama in the conference tournament, Mm -hmm. but like on your average Vanderbilt game, I don't often come away thinking like that's a team that appears like to be, you know, to have good chemistry, to want to work for each other and to be like disciplined on a, you know, possession by possession basis. It just seems like their minds wander a lot. Uh, so we're out. How much longer do you think he has? If they are 10th, 11th in the SEC again next year, how much longer are we looking at here? Um, it's kind of interesting because uh, so he, he has a six-year contract. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they paid out Bryce Drew already. It was like a lump sum of – or they, I don't know if it's a lump sum or what, but I believe they are finished paying with Bryce Drew. So they could mm-hmm. afford the buyout, but it's kind of like, one, how much do they care – when they've already just hired a new football coach and like, yes, Vanderbilt football is nothing, but it's expensive. Like playing Mm -hmm. SEC football is expensive. Um, And it's also just like, could Stackhouse opt out on his own? If an Hmm. NBA, if like a well-paying assistant job open or even a head coaching job, I don't feel like G league pays well. Um, But if like one of those two things opened, Stackhouse probably is going to get a call. I mean, Frankly, you just have less to deal with and like you don't have to recruit in the NBA. That's a positive. So and you don't have to deal with academic restrictions at, yeah. at your NBA team of choice. So I am going to go on record as saying I would be surprised if come, let's say, 2024, he is still mm-hmm. a Vanderbilt head coach. Something meaningful would have had to change. Either they have really taken the next step and they make the NCAA tournament at least once mm-hmm. or things have not changed and he's either fired or takes a different gig. It should be interesting to see what happens here. Um, but I'm with you. I don't think he's long for this job. Um, your favorite though, Will Warren, um, CBS sports had a good, uh, list on some new programs in new conferences. A lot of teams moving around, uh, in conference realignments, the name of the game. We got Murray state. We got Loyola, Chicago. We got Bryant. We got Southern Indiana of that group though. Who do you think stands to make the biggest impact on, on this next year? Uh, it's either Loyola, Chicago or Bryant. And of the two, I feel hmm. more confident in Bryant winning the America East. 
So yeah, they lost Peter Kiss, but they bring back like quite a bit of talent. Like most of their scoring, other than him. And I know it's funny to say most of their scoring when you lose the sco- the literal scoring leader in college basketball. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like other than him, they do bring a lot back. Um, it, it's a tough proposition to commit to, given that the AAE is generally Vermont's to lose. I think mm-hmm. I had something crazy like Vermont's won the regular season title. I think seven of the last eight years or eight of the last nine, something of that sort. But Vermont Catamount consistency, only... my friend. Catamount yes. consistency. But they only return fifteen percent of their scoring, and they have mm. an entirely new starting five. Which you can, I mean, we've discussed this in the past. You can do that if you're like a high major school, like, mm. you know, like if you're Villanova, you can probably get away with that and still be okay. When you're a mid major and like the budget is tight and you can't go pluck out like all stars out of the transfer portal, like they got Dylan Penn from Bellarmine, but. That was about it. Uh, they're going to have a tough row or a tough uh, road to get there. Uh, so I think Bryant's well positioned of the group to make the tournament immediately. Mm-hmm. Loyola is also interesting, though. I think they're in a worse spot to actually win their conference. Like I would mm-hmm. say right now they're the third best in the A-10 behind Dayton and St. Louis. But they're in the best position of anybody by far on this list to get an at-large bid. Because, I mean, the A-10 is going to enter this season, and it should, at least, as a multi-bid conference. Mm-hmm. If Loyola schedules well and is as good as projected, which is like a 40th to 50th type team, they're going to be right on the bubble. And hmm. if, I think, honestly, if you're in their position and you can make the tournament year one in a new conference, that's a big statement to me. Because that's not even as good as they can be. So I think... I'd look for Loyola to have a solid year, but Bryant off that list. That's the team I'm looking for, for uh, a real big impact. I like it. Um, is there any chance that Loyola Chicago step, has it takes a step back in their new conference, though? Oh, sure. I mean, like the A-10. So I, I would not say that the A-10 is dramatically tougher to win in than the MVC. Like the MVC is honestly an underrated conference still. You know, they lost mm. Creighton and Wichita, but it's still like a solid little conference. That being said, the A10 is tougher. I mm. think it's like whereas like the MVC is generally going to be a one bid league, the A10 really has the resources year over year to have two or three teams make the tournament and should. I mean, if you have 15 teams in your conference, you better have at least two get in the tournament every year. Mm. So I think it's tougher. I think, you know, we could see them take a, a stronger than projected step back. They do only return 36% of scoring. But uh, I just think, I, I don't know. I have a lot of faith in Drew Valentine as a coach. His style really meshes with what wins in modern college basketball. And to, everything I've heard about him, like the personality makes sense for a long-term program builder. So uh, I still feel good about them. But yeah, I mean, like I've been shocked before. Like when Valparaiso jumped to the MVC, they took a much bigger dip than I thought they would. I thought they were well-positioned to do very well in that conference. And they have yet to really make much of a dent. So you never really know. There you go. Um, when we look at the Cal situation, I, I was uh, walking into um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies on Friday evening uh, and on Gay Street over there. Uh, is that is any it, the good? Riviera? The real Riviera? Yeah, is, what Riviera. It's called. is this movie any good? Because I saw the preview before Nope, and I thought it looked kind of bad. It's fantastic. Let me tell you. Oh. It's one of my, it's so much fun. Nope. And bodies, 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 both a lot of fun, but th- for very different reasons. Like 
Okay. Bodies, bodies, bodies is a good time, man. Let me tell you, like it's a good blend between comedy and horror, and like those movies can go off the rails and not really work. And I think it's just hard to make good horror movies in general. Um, I think it's probably the hardest genre to make uh, make it a good movie that you're completely invested in. And I watch a lot of horror movies because the fiance that's her favorite genre, so we watch a lot of those. <laughs> and I've watched a lot more in the last uh, couple of years with her and. I will tell you, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a lot of fun. Uh, you will be surprised where it's going. Like, I, there's a lot of twists and turns, but it's um, it's it's a fun movie. Uh, I'll say it's worth your time. Uh, I will go watch it then. I mean, we have Regal Unlimited, so I should anyway. Oh yeah, but... then no question, no question. Make it happen, Will. I would uh, I would highly highly encourage you to make that uh, make that happen. But so I texted you that, and it was one of those things I've written about that this week. I think I might write about it a little bit more over the weekend. Um, based on what Paul Feinbaum said about the situation and kind of encouraging uh, Cal to move on or the Kentucky Wildcats to move on from Cal. And we've gone so far where people really wanted to back Mark Stoops. And the reason we're doing this on the college basketball show is that like you and I, like <laughs> there was a video, um, like basically I don't know what's going on, but all the sororities in this SEC are uh, doing like different dance-off videos or something. And... If you go to Kentucky's, all basketball jerseys. That's one of the things. I think I tweeted on the Chase Sims podcast Twitter account where it's like, I'm seeing a lot of basketball jerseys. I'm not really seeing any Kentucky football jerseys. And again, this was never a slight at Mark Stoops. Did Calipari say something out loud he probably shouldn't have? Sure. But now we're getting the takes where it's like, the football team's winning 10 games every year now. Like, we're, this is a football school. We've turned the tide. It's like, no, you haven't because it will take decades. And I think there's this idea that Kentucky can just do better than Coach Cal- than Coach Calipari. And now I think Calipari somehow in the year 2022 has become underrated as a head coach in college basketball. I never thought we would get here, but I think that's now the case because like Tennessee, fa- Tennessee fans, like we love making jokes about Rick Barnes owning Cal and Kentucky and things like that. But five-star after five-star, he has been to so many Final Fours. He's won a national title. He's almost had a perfect season where they didn't lose a a game until they got to the final four. Like Calipari has nothing to prove and people can point to like, oh, no championships in a decade. It's like, okay, do you know how hard it is to get through the 68 team gauntlet? Like, yeah, the St. Peter's thing, that being the last memory of Coach Cal is not great when you're pushing for a new practice facility and that kind of thing. But this is as blue blood as it gets. We've talked about in this program, the two biggest brands in college basketball are Kentucky and Duke. Those are the two biggest ones. He is right in every way. And Kentucky and their AD and some people who's pushed back on this is like, yeah, as great as Stoops is for this program, you can't win a national title in Kentucky football. There's no path. The The talent in the state of Kentucky is not good enough for them to maximize that area and also beat Georgia, beat Tennessee, beat Alabama, beat Ohio State, beat Clemson. Like, it's just, there's no path. So... I just think we've gone too far the other way. And I look at it and I'm like, there's nothing wrong with saying Kentucky is a basketball school. But when you look at what Cal said and Cal to this point, are we now underrating his value to the university of Kentucky? Cause I think it could get really bad in a hurry. If you push him out, you do not want to push Calipari out. If you are Kentucky. And I think fans really need to calm down. Like let's calm this down. What do you think? Yeah. 
So let's focus on the question of Kentucky. Can Kentucky do better than Calipari? Uh, no. Uh, so unless <laughs> like, Tom Izzo, so unless Tom Izzo got really really bored with Michigan State or like John Beeline age reversed by twenty years, yeah, I think that's about it for your college options. Uh, and I don't feel like, like you're probably I mean, hiring like, people... like somebody like Chris Mack, right? Like you're going. I just I don't. No, think well, I think they would do like. This. It would probably be Kenny Payne, right? And it's like, yeah, could Kenny Payne be awesome? Sure. But like, do we think Kenny Payne is obviously better than Calipari? Of course not. Um, yeah. I, I think the whole drama between UK football and basketball is pretty funny, right? I mean, because Calipari is right that it is a basketball school. Kentucky, I looked at the schedule just now. That was what the flash on the screen was. Kentucky mm-hmm. could go 12 0, make the SEC. And honestly, after I looked at their schedule today, it's so possible. That is a garbage schedule for their Mm. football program. Embarrassing. But honestly, good for them. I'm quite jealous. Anyway, uh, they could go 12-0, make the SEC championship game, play presumably like Alabama or whoever. And I would bet right now that more Kentucky – more people in the state of Kentucky would watch the following day's basketball game in London against Michigan – then yeah. would watch the SEC championship game. And that's not like a that's not like a bit against the football team. That's not being a hater. That's fact. Because there are more basketball fans than football fans in Kentucky because basketball is a bigger sport. The same dynamic exists in Indiana. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's just facts. Uh, and it dates back decades upon decades that Kentucky is a basketball school. There's that entire ESPN little miniseries junction boys about um mm-hmm. was it bear bryant yes yes leaving kentucky for texas a- i can't believe i forgot that's so sad leaving kentucky for texas a.m because they disagreed on how much it meant uh but anyway and i mean like i understand I why right, mark Stoops is annoyed mm-hmm. um like if hypel or whoever came out and said tennessee is a football school i don't think like rick barnes would be super happy about that but that doesn't change the fact calipari is right but anyway, to answer the question, uh, they cannot do better than Calipari. Like people love to do this gotcha of him only winning the one title, uh, mm-hmm. and that's true. And it's been ten years now, and you know, like they had chances. They really should have won it. The Carl Anthony Towns here, mm-hmm. they very much could have won it the year before when they were playing a seven seed in the title game. They've had their opportunities, and they just haven't pulled it off. Um, Okay, that still places him as one of 14 college coaches to even win one title in the last mm-hmm. 23 years. That's an elite freaking group. There's only six guys who have done it two or more times in the last 25 years. Mark Few still hasn't done it. Yeah, Mark Few still hasn't done it. And we would all agree he is probably one of the 10 best coaches in college right. basketball, if not top five. Only two coaches, Izzo and Roy, have more final four runs in that same 25-year span. Hmm. And I think this sort of goes back to... And it's kind of, I don't really know where this originated, but I swear it's been around as long as I've been watching his teams. People love to say Calipari is a roll out the ball and let them play coach. Like he doesn't really coach. He just recruits. And like, yes, the offense is indeed outdated. I uh, took a victory lap on that multiple times this year. So uh, I'm not, I'm not above it is Mm -hmm. what I'm saying. But calling him just a recruiter really defeats the point because high major basketball at Kentucky's level is very much recruiting. That's like a huge part. If he was, if he was the greatest coach, if he was the greatest X and O's coach in the world, and he recruited, like I don't know, South Carolina's level or something, mm-hmm. 
they would not do better than what Kentucky is doing now. He's yeah. still like he still does the right things to get guys to come, get them to the NBA. He does what he says he will do. And that immediately makes him one of the greatest college coaches in history. And so I don't know. I think I think people are bored. I think it's like August and people are really, especially in the South, people are like stir crazy. My father-in-law was watching the Kentucky-Tennessee football game from this past season uh, the other night was and was one. cheering, was cheering in <laughs> real time like the plays, had, he hadn't seen the game originally. Like he was watching them as if they were happening then. Like Wait, August had he already before. or he was just pretending that he hadn't seen them before? He had already, he, he had already seen this game like when it happened okay. and he was mm-hmm. getting excited all over again. That's how desperate mm-hmm. people are for something here. And so I think this is all boredom. This is all, but I, I would obviously say Cal made a huge unforced error by even bringing this up, but also like Mitch Barnhart made an even bigger unforced error by making a statement on it. I agree. You, you, yeah. I think you heard it more. You just have to like, let it subside. It's not a big deal. Coaches say stupid stuff all the time. Dabo Swinney exists. Like let it go. You know, don't poke the bear. Like, what are you exactly. doing? Why are you picking a side? Like, that's clear. He was picking a side. He was picking yeah. Mark Stoops in this battle. And I just, I don't know, man. It, that yeah. is, uh, <laughs> it's just, I, I wonder if this, I wonder if this rubs Cal the wrong way just temporarily or if it's like permanent. Well, it's clear that just Cal care, and true. Stoops don't like each other. Like that much is clear. Mm-hmm. Like those two do not go publicly with the war of words like this. And Stoops tweeting through it was very cringe. I think we can all mm-hmm. agree where it's like, look at that four straight playoff victory stuff is as cringe as it gets for a football coach where it's like, well, yeah, four straight bowl games. And we all know bowl games aren't what they used to be. Like, all right, can you beat yeah. Georgia once? Can you beat Tennessee? Like, can can you do that in a non-COVID year? Like, can we can we get there? Can you keep your best player in your state? Like Christian Conyer, last time I checked, committed to Tennessee this past month. Like, can you do that? Like, Tennessee is not scared. Georgia is not scared. Alabama is not scared. Mm-hmm. Florida, not scared. Like, you finally got over the Florida hump, but we can go through the history of Florida, Kentucky. Like, 20 plus years straight of Florida winning that game. I just think Stoops has done a great job, but I think now Mitch backed the wrong dude because Cal is not going anywhere. And I think Cal is happy and content. Just give him what he wants. You're the premier brand. Mark Stoops is eventually going to get tired of the glass ceiling or the just where he can go at Kentucky. Like he's eventually going to be like, I need to go do my Brian Kelly thing where I've won a bunch. I'm well-respected, but the resources, the recruiting base, I cannot win a championship here. And eventually his competitive urge will push him somewhere else. And that might be expedited now, but that's where Mitch should have seen it is like Stoops is eventually going to leave. Like eventually he's going to realize that this job, you can only go so far at Kentucky and Cal is just, he's the guy like Kentucky basketball is your identity. And that the other thing too, is like, that's not a negative. Like that's so silly mm-hmm. when people look at it as like, Oh, basketball school. It's like, well, yeah, because they're amazing at basketball. They've been amazing. Yeah, they're one of the two greatest basketball programs of all time. Right. That's a great thing. If you're a certain type of school, like, you know, Rutgers is just like a nothing school because they have no yeah. like history of like, um, you can say everything school, but it's like, well, they have no, history. They lost 78 nothing one time. 
exactly to Michigan. And it's weird that I remember that whole game. I watched that at a bar in Atlanta. Well, where I kept like, I was the only person <laughs> that, watching it. That, that's the single funniest football game ever played. I told people, I was like, leave me alone. I'm watching Jim Harbaugh continue to score on Chris Ash and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Like, I, I want to see how high this gets. Um, so oh, two things before we jump yeah. off the Kentucky train here. One that's kind of unsaid here. John Calipari is going to turn 64 this season. Mm. Uh, I mean, can what I doubt like his ability to coach forever. Sure. He looks younger than 64, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's probably, he seems to be in okay health, but that's like the desire thing of like, if you're 64, do you want to put up with this forever? And so, I mean, like that's something like this cause him to jump out the door. And then two on the stoops front, I saw on the Twitter machine today, somebody retweet. I don't know who this sec personality is there. They have like 500 people on the sec network. Now I barely remember that Patrick young is on it now, which good. For who? Them. Patrick, like Florida, young, Patrick Florida young? Center. Yeah. yeah. Patrick young with the C not the K. Yeah. Um, He's on yes. SEC network now. Yeah, he's he does like basketball stuff. Um, Did not know that. But uh, some nameless SEC personality had like Kentucky going eleven and one. Chris uh, Doring, nameless. But the Chris one loss is to Tennessee, which is so funny. <laughs> I feel like that would entirely defeat their joy. So mm-hmm. that's my official rooting interest. I can't wait for that one. I think that's here uh, this year. So stomping on, I need us to stomp on Kentucky the same way we stomped on South Carolina at home, where it was twenty eight nothing after the first quarter, and it's like, all right, we're done. We're done with this nonsense. Like a fun, exciting Kentucky offense. It's like, all right, let's just let's get them in kneeling. Like that's what I'm chomping at the bit for. Let's let's just get Kentucky here in, in this one once and for all. Um, anything new with uh, Tennessee? Uh, Smokey Gray's back for football, but uh, when you look at Tennessee right now, oh no, I'll mute you, Will Warren. I will mute okay. you for this take. I will let the football people have this, whatever. Mm-hmm. But. If they bring this back for basketball, I will be supremely. They're not doing it. Rick Barnes is not about that. That because is because the non-fun guy of all time. The one I've got a lasting memory of Jerron Maiman picking up the worst time technical foul against the against Florida in the SEC tournament in the Great Unis too. Mm. Those gray basketball uniforms were the worst uniforms Tennessee basketball has ever worn in its yeah. entire program history. Horrible, horrible, horrible. They don't look as good for basketball. No, I, I think they look good on baseball because yep. it stands out well against the green and brown. And I think it obvious. I, I'm not a big fan of them, frankly, but like if you want to do it for football, whatever, it's like one game a year. Not mm-hmm. that stressful. But when you introduce like alternate uniforms and like basketball, I feel like, I feel like teams commit to, to them for like six games a season. And mm-hmm. the uniform better be really good for you to commit to it six games a year. Because I've seen some crappy ones. so I think the dark mode black uniforms could work for Tennessee basketball. I think you could do it with some black yeah. and orange. That would work. I, I would be good for that. I would also be good. And I hope this is like, I'm speaking into existence. The baseball script vols would look Ooh, wonderful so in the front of a basketball uniform. I would agree. Again, um, we're bored. I don't have like any Tennessee basketball notes. They need they need to they like, keep in interviewing week, each other. That's where we're I, at. They're yes. <laughs> that's all they're I, I doing. want them to uh, to release the SEC basketball schedule, though. I know who Tennessee is playing because they've released the opponents, but mm. I would love to see like how does the schedule start? Because like Tennessee, I think like four several years in a row now, it's like all but one year they've opened on the road, but they've generally opened against a team everybody expects to be very good. So like mm. last year was Alabama. The year before it was Missouri. Uh, the year before that, it was LSU. So I want to see if they're going to get like a frisky opponent or if you're opening with like Ole Miss or something. Mm. 
So because I think it, I think it's really cool when like if like if the Big Ten started this year with Iowa versus Indiana, that would be something I would watch. Like I'd be pretty cool with that. So the SEC they they will not start with a, with a Tennessee Kentucky, but like if you started Tennessee Arkansas, that would be a great way to begin SEC basketball season. I like it. Um, we end with our Ken Palm season and review series. Will Warren, the Purdue Boilermakers. And we're not talking about Gene Keaty and his uh, spray painted black hair. No. That's oh, a, no. He's got the core skate thing going on. <laughs> no. Do you remember that? The come over, like the Keaty come over with the uh, the just jet black hair. Ooh. Yeah, I just Googled. <laughs> this is awful. Oh, that's the worst. That's real bad. Yeah, it's not great. Oh no! <laughs> wow. So this this, uh, this I'm sorry I like this. Show, but it says on the Indianapolis Star, he maintained his comb over to the tune of six hundred dollars a week for this. <sighs> this is why NIL is here. Yeah, yeah. Tell me they couldn't have paid the players that whole time when he's spending six hundred on a comb over every week. <laughs> That's insane. Anyway, Purdue. Yeah. Um, so really interesting team, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Jaden Ivey goes in the top five in the draft this year. Uh, Travion Williams came back for one last run. Zach Eady, who I presume was plucked out of a village in Estonia or whatever it is mm-hmm. they do. Um, to uh, They just like, did you, did you, I mean, they. I feel like that's all they do now is like Matt Painter travels the world ask if they've heard of a giant locally and it's like can we offer him a scholarship mm-hmm. like uh if they had had him around like when they were like world's tallest man records like actively being attempted to be set like and then they're eight foot seven guys Pat, matt painter would have gone after them but mm-hmm. really interesting team right i mean they entered the season top yeah. five in Ken Palm, played really, really well, won that mini tournament Tennessee was involved in. I can't remember the name of it, but those the they beat UNC and Villanova. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were number one and then immediately lost to Rutgers, which honestly wasn't that shameful by the end of the year. Um, and they were awesome for, I would say, three months. And it all kind of started to turn to crap when they... So they were 21 and three, 10 and three in conference. So they go on the road to play Michigan and get demolished by what was not like a high level Michigan team last year. And then from there, they go from 21 and three to losing four of their final 10, uh, enter the tournament after spending most of the season as like a one or two seed, depending on where you look, they enter as a three, but they pretty easily make the second weekend. Like mm. they dispatch a VL very easily the Texas game is rarely close after about the eight minute mark of the second half. And so in one aspect, I think anytime Matt Painter gets them to the sweet 16, you have to call that a success because mm-hmm. yes, Gene Keady has had a lot of success in the past, but the amount of times Purdue basketball has gone really deep in the tournament are few and far between. They have history to the extent of consistently being good but they do not have history to the extent of consistently being great. And I feel like that's kind of where they're on the edge of is they have had years where, you know, like I'm reading Ken Palm right now, ninth place finish, 19th, 5th, 9th, 24th, 25th, 14th. That's a heck of a run. That is an amazing seven-year run of consistency for any school. But it rings hollow because you have these years where you start off so hot, you're a top five team, you kind of crater to the end, 
you're covered to make the Sweet 16. You get the luckiest draw of all time in getting a 15 seed, but you have a terrible shooting night at the wrong time and you lose. And so it's like the process of what they do, I would say, is generally very good and successful. And I think this concept of like Matt Painter being a bad tournament coach is very much overblown. There, there's like very few coaches in America that I would actually call like elite level NCAA tournament coach, like you know Izzo, Roy, etc. Those guys are mm-hmm. March guys. Like Matt Painter probably isn't, but I don't think he's bad, and I don't think his system is bad for March. Some teams are just unlucky, and. For whatever reason, poor Purdue seems to be about the unluckiest African team we can find. So I'm going to run down, before we get to a different point, the scoring margins of their March losses. So this dates back from here to we'll stop at 2016. Three points. Nine points in overtime. Five points in overtime. Hmm. 2018 they lost by 13 points because isaac Haas went out with an injury mm-hmm. 2017 they make the sweet 16 they do get blown out by kansas so that's kind of like the one obvious blowout game 2016 double overtime two-point loss they seemingly more than any other program i can immediately think of and i know tennessee fans are going to think this is laughable have had more like swing March games go against them. Like they just physically Mm -hmm. cannot win an overtime game unless Tennessee is involved, of course. But they, I feel like if you flip, if you flip two coins, one, they could have made the final four and two, they easily could have made the final four again this year because you beat the 15 seed. And I mean, like North Carolina was white hot. They easily could have won that game, but facing North Carolina, facing Purdue, is wholly different than North Carolina facing St. Peter's. So it's like, I I think their process is generally very good. And I like Matt Painter a lot and think of him as a really good coach, but because they keep coming up short on these 50, 50 games, the way he's sort of like treated by national media feels a whole lot different than like some of the luckier guys out there. Interesting. I, um, I wonder though, because they were basically tied for number one adjusted offense in Kim Palm last year um, with Duke, and the defense was, I think, ninety third in adjusted defense. What do you see though? Is there something that they're doing offensively that will always limit what Painter's defense can be year over year? Is there a way? Is there a path? Their style of play on offense and to be that good without sacrificing that kind of elite offensive production to get that defense to where it probably needs to be if they want to make a real Final Four national title run? Well, I, I think it's just... the So the best Purdue teams really have been... But we'll take like the Elite Eight team and then the Sweet 16 team the year before. That was basically an injury short of a deeper run. And to mm-hmm. be fair, they ran into Texas Tech, who was just really good. Mm-hmm. Those two teams had, yes, top five offenses, but they're also top 35 defensively. The, the path to them kind of getting back to that involves better rim protection. So they have Travion, they have Edie. So you would think like they're going to be really hard to score on, at, on the, you know, at the rim on defense, right? Not really. 128th in block rate, 134th in two-point percentage. Uh, they've got to find a way to restrict that. And the teams that generally seem to go furthest, and they've sort of changed how they play defense the last few years, 
uh, they give up way more three-point attempts than they used to. So hmm. 2015 through 2018, they're around like 33 to 34% of opponent attempts were from deep. Last four years, 43, 42, 45, and 41. So they've completely shifted their philosophy there. They're happy to let you bomb it from over the top. In the, Against bad shooting teams, obviously a fine strategy. But when you're in like a one-off tournament situation where it's all it takes is for, I mean, like teams shoot threes more than ever. Teams make more threes than ever. All it takes is for the wrong guy to get hot on the wrong night. Like Doug Edert. Doug yeah. Edert probably made himself a multimillionaire because he got hot on the right nights this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be the flaw, I would say, is like you got to limit how many threes you give up and you got to just get better or in protection. I think you just got to, I mean, like, they fouled barely at all this year, which is great, but that mm-hmm. came at a cost of like they fouled so little that they just weren't very physical at the rim. And so I think that you got to find that challenge of like, and it's going to get tougher this year with Williams gone because now it's just Edie at center. They'll have backups, of course, but they're not going to have somebody ready to just step in at that all Big Ten level like Williams was. So I, I don't know. I'm curious to see what they do. I think they're going to be a hair worse. I would have them like, I don't know, like 20 seconds sounds right. So I think, I think they'll be good again. So like 20th to 22nd, somewhere in there. Uh, Edie is going to be an all-Big Ten guy. Mason Gillis could be. Caleb First could be. And then like there's other guys in there. And I think, you know, just like usual, they're going to contend for the Big Ten title because that's what they do. But it's just like you got to, I don't know, it's the Tennessee philosophy, right? If you're good enough times, eventually it's going to work out in your favor. I would agree with that. Like you, you're in good shape. Don't get antsy, Purdue fans, about Painter. Like don't get antsy. Like this is working. This is going well. You just put a player at top five in the draft. Like it's it's going well. Yeah. Um, Will Warren, what can the folks check out from you? Stats by Will on Twitter, statsbywill.com. Anything you like to plug as we wrap up here on a Thursday evening? Nothing new to plug. I'm tossing around the idea of writing some new stuff. Um, okay. So hopefully, I'll have more on that soon. But you can always find me tweeting away. Uh, I would love to plug the rehearsal, which is airing its final episode of the season tomorrow. Very good. Amazing, amazing show. Shout out to Dr. Fart, one of the all time great TV characters doing a bit and just, uh, he's what I, I, he was riffing and I went with it. Um, (laughs) just some, can you just give me a list of everything satanic so we can just get on the, (laughs) it's an incredible program and I very much love it but you know what i don't love the think pieces on whether or not this is actually good folks i promise you don't have to write it you don't have to write the mm-hmm. is nathan fielder actually a villain like i promise yeah. you don't have to write this piece also he wrote his own think piece in the show with the fake angel interaction that's true so there you go it's such a great show i don't know what i'm gonna do will because uh the fiance is going on her bachelorette party this weekend leaving tomorrow morning do i watch it and not tell her that i watched it on friday night or do i wait it out do i do i wait it out until sunday evening i think you have to watch it so by my understanding it's gonna get spoiled but by my understanding she's less online than you right generally oh yeah 100 percent. then she'll be fine as long as she doesn't does she have other friends who watch this show or do you know i don't think so uh, based on the TV ratings, I'm going to assume no. So, Are the ratings the, bad? 
Yeah, unfortunately. I, but this uh, is so on this HBO is a one and done. Not, We're not getting HBO has done an awful job of promoting the show. So they, they, somebody had a stat where they've tweeted about Game of Thrones 29 times in the last month in the rehearsal once. Well, so, to be fair, how do you tweet about the rehearsal? Like everything about this show is like, how do you promote this? Just tweet show? out a reminder that it's on. Yes, they fair. don't even do that. Fair minimum. Yeah. That I, I would simply tell people, hey, the show we have paid for is on the air. Please watch it. Thank you. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I say you watch it because the problem with both of us being on Twitter is that there will be all of the memes. And then it's mm. like you either I mean, like, it's OK if you don't participate in it, but you either have to risk unintentionally getting a spoiler by the way of like the no context Nathan account. Yeah. Or like entirely go offline for basically two straight days, which is right. sadly I don't hard think to that's do. Sustainable. I don't think it's going to work like that. I'm gonna so have to watch I say it, watch. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Sports Renaissance Woman, you heard him. That was all Will. He is the one <laughs> to blame fault. at Stats by Will if you are upset with my decision. <laughs> will Warren, thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for having me on. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part two here on a Friday, August 19th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you again to Stats by Will for coming on today's edition of the program. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can watch us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe there. All that good stuff. Um, all kinds of great video content there. Email the program at Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Read me and all my sports writing over at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Today, uh, type in your email and become a subscriber. That easy. That simple. Uh, the local hours uh, coming up tomorrow, Preds Power Hour, Atlanta Sports Guys, uh, Kobe Garnt Friday, all coming up. And then uh, sports reporters who will indeed reassemble all that good stuff as well right around the corner. You guys have yourself a great rest of your Friday. And thank you as always for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your day listen here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Greatly appreciate it. All right. Talk to you all soon. Uncle Derek, how to do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.